So I want to ask you this morning, is that easy? We've got some knowing smiles. No, it ain't easy. Is it hard? I just want to focus on the first four words for a bit. Let love be genuine. As I let that sink in, I go, that's actually hard. To let our love be 100% genuine. And I just love that uh, you guys from Care Outreach are out here today because you've come out here in love for the community of Durandbandi and in such love you want to present the gospel to them. You want to make connections. You want to connect with them. I think that's a fantastic thing. The more I ponder that verse, especially that first part, well, all of it, I think that in human strength, in human strength, it's actually an impossible thing to do. Human love is just not always genuine. I genuinely love my wife, Sally. But is there somewhere, something in there that says that my love's conditional? Would I still genuinely love her if she stopped loving me? Or she started to attack me? I can stand here and say, yeah, but there are divorces all over the country that spell otherwise. In my marriage vows, I promise to love her no matter what. I need to stop when I'm dead. You know, I used to think that if I could just find the perfect marriage partner, love would be automatic and it would just last forever. It would just be an automatic, an automatic thing. And I was wrong. It doesn't, that person doesn't exist. If that person did exist, then they got the problem because they married to me. <laughs> they would have to put up with someone far less than perfect. You know, I even think of our kids, you know, um, we love our kids. But not everybody has that privilege of loving their kids. Sometimes things have gone bad. Sometimes parents have disowned their kids when they've defamed them or disappointed them. Um, yeah. Now, I believe that the original Greek uh, in this first part of the um, verse 9 says, uh, literally says, let love be without hypocrisy. <clears throat> I feel like I could love some people without hypocrisy. But scripture says, love your neighbour as yourself. Scripture says, Jesus said, love your enemies. Oh, now we're getting hard. <laughs> and I know for everyone around this room at this moment, there's someone in your mind that's hard to love. Whether it's in your family, whether it's your neighbour, whether it's in your workplace, it's hard. Absolutely. At this point... You know, it might, be, uh, it might seem like a good thing for me to focus on love and give you all the helpful tips on trying to help love people better. And there's hundreds, literally hundreds of books written on it. 
probably, probably a heap of them in Kurong. But that is not how the Apostle Paul is presenting the subject. Paul has been writing for the last 11 chapters leading up to this point. And he's, if you've, if you've noticed, if you've been here with us, you've noticed for the whole 11 chapters, Paul hasn't given us a single instruction on how to live the Christian life. But now, in chapter 12, he gives us about 30 in rapid fire, just bang, 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 bang. And to rightly understand these instructions, we need to look at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, which is where you started there, Sal, please. Paul has been laying a most important framework. Chapters 1 to 11 speak of the mercy of God. They speak of the cross and of how God gives us an amazing gift of grace through the death of his son. So when we get to the beginning of of chapter 12, Paul says, therefore. And that therefore relates to all of the beginning of Romans, right up to this point. Therefore, because of all that, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, right? Keep in view, keep God's mercy in view to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Oh, we've got to do something. Holy and pleasing to God. Now, Paul's about to flesh this out with some guidance and instruction in chapter 12. This is your spiritual act of worship. How you live your life is your spiritual act of worship. This is the best way to worship God. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world because the world does love with hypocrisy. The world loves evil. The people of the world don't devote themselves to one another but they use one another to better their own interests. But, says Paul, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, you're going to need the mind of Christ here. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul says that with a transformed mind, a mind transformed by God, you'll know what God's will is. And what is not. And in typical Paul fashion, just to be sure, he then goes and spells it out for about the next the rest of the next chapter. The will of God is way less about what you should do with your life and where you should go, and the people you might meet tomorrow as you're driving around. It's way less about that than how you live the life you've been given. The will of God is way less about whether or not you should go on a mission trip and way more about how we reflect the character of God. The will of God is to love without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we say one thing but really... We believe something else. We do it probably for many reasons, mainly to make ourselves look better than what we really are. Sometimes even in ministry, we love with hypocrisy. I can see hypocrisy in myself. 
You know, it might make me look good to go and pray with Les at the beginning of the service. That hurts. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy. And Matthew 15, 7, he said, You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In Matthew 23, 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. These verses should cut us to the bone. Do you know that Jesus actually never did anything in hypocrisy? Because Jesus is the truth. So what Paul's saying here, real love doesn't act this way. It isn't love if it's hypocritical. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love rejoices with the truth. But hypocrisy cannot handle the truth. Hypocrisy is all about falsehood, concealment, deceit, cloaking, misleading, hiding. Hypocrisy is the opposite of loving the truth. So it's the opposite of love. So Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine. At this point, I start to think, how do I still deal with those people in my life that I'm struggling to love? Do I fake it till I make it? Do I just run through the motions and hope it all pans out? As I said at the beginning, in, this, in human terms, this is impossible. We can only do it with two things. We need the Word of God and we need the Spirit of God. And these two things cannot be separated. We need both. One without the other will not produce genuine love. One will produce, hmm, he's not very good. The other one will produce pretty airy-fairy stuff that's not grounded in Scripture. Firstly, the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God about his mercy. And this is what Paul's been doing for the last 11 chapters. He's been grounding us in the Word. He's been grounding us in what Christ has done. He's been grounding us in the, about the mercies of God. Note the urging here in verse nine. Oh, sorry, in verse 1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. He's urging us. And so he's very careful and deliberate in the way that he unfolds his letter to the Romans. And if I was to try and condense the first 11 chapters, which I believe I need to do here for us to understand these two verses, I would say the six main points. Firstly, all people are sinners. And therefore, without exception, need to be saved from their sin. The second point is that following God's law, even though it's good and holy, cannot counteract the power of sin. Third thing is, because, of God's, because our God is righteous, sin is judged and salvation is provided. For he did this by providing Jesus, his perfect and only son, to die in the place that we deserved, to die to pay for our sin, in fact, the sin of the whole world. 
And this was his sovereign plan for salvation before he even made the world. And he works all things according to his plan. Sixteen, two, three, four, fifteen. We are declared justified with God by faith alone. We accept salvation by trusting in him. Sixteen, there's a certain hope, a future glory with God for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so important that we know this. It's so important that this is the foundation of your faith. You'll notice that in these six points, there's, you don't see anywhere anything that we should do. It's all about what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. And because Christianity is all about what God has done and nothing about what we do, knowing and having foremost in our minds the mercy of God, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's our response? Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Which brings the second point. Because of our salvation, he's already given us the Holy Spirit who will enable us to live as a living sacrifice. This means prayer. This means coming to God and asking for more of his Holy Spirit. And as Jesus said, surely he will give it. Way more than a father will give a good gift to his son rather than a rock or a stone. Wow, well, I'm not very far into these two verses yet, am I? Let love be sincere, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. What is evil and what is good cannot be subjective. This means that they can't be defined by our perception, but they must be defined by God himself. That's why the word of God is so important, isn't it? If it's subjective, then people do what is right in their own eyes. And there is no such thing as absolute truth. It's fantastic that God is not like that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. But Jesus said, God alone is good. Therefore, to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good must be grounded in the very nature and character of God, which we find in his word. When we understand the mercy of God that we have received and we accept his nature through his Holy Spirit, we too must abhor evil. This is not merely choosing evil over good, but abhor evil and hold fast to good. God is commanding our emotions here. Honestly, sometimes I have trouble hating evil. Sometimes it sneaks in and there's little bits of it that I actually like. Wouldn't do it. I wouldn't sin if I didn't like it. Hate it afterwards. Do you ever allow your thoughts to dwell on the things that God hates? Paul says, don't do that. Abhor evil and cling to what is good. 
We mustn't miss the connection here between godly love and hating evil. Genuine love hates evil. It doesn't just tolerate it. We're not in Christ if we don't. And to hold fast to what is good, once again, is not to hold fast to the things that are dear to us by our perception, but to hold fast to the things that are dear to God, that are dear to his heart. As we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the nature and the character of God. We receive a transformed mind, a mind that thinks like God thinks. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. It's an amazing thing about the Christian faith that we're saved into a body. We're not saved into isolation. We're saved into a wonderful body. We're saved into Christ's body. What a wonderful, unified body that will look like when we all realise it. We already are, but often we just don't realise it. So our connection to each other is one of love. When the grace of God affects our heart, we're given an incredible love for our brothers and sisters. I mean, there's always that one person, though, isn't there, that really ticks us off. But Paul seems to raise the bar to the next level. You know, deep down I know there's that one person I struggle with, and I, I can kind of show love to them, but honour them? Really? Honour. Wow. That's next level. The commands of God are impossible on a human level. They're absolutely impossible. Do you know that Jesus, the Son, always give honour to the Father? And the Spirit always gives honour to both the Son and the Father. When we become Christians and we're given his nature, his spirit, therefore we also give honour to others who have been given the amazing gift of grace. In these two verses today, there's five instructions. That's a lot. <laughs> and and, and I, feel like, I feel like there could be five sermons and not one. But... And all of them completely impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit and being firmly grounded in the Word of God. <clears throat> Our human nature is not capable and certainly doesn't want to do any of these things, but a mind transformed and controlled by the Spirit loves these things because they reflect the goodness of God. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you do what He wants. You cling to good. You love without hypocrisy. A person with the fruit of the Spirit does these things. Have you thought about the fruit of the Spirit in, in this context? You have what it, love, joy, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, and a couple that I can't remember. Patience, patience, very important. Kindness, yeah, goodness, yeah. That's the work of the Spirit in us, isn't it? Over time. Affecting our character 
affecting how we love one another without hypocrisy, how we love, honour one another, how we hate evil. Evil is the opposite of all those seven things. Yeah. Okay, what must we do? Exactly what Paul is describing here. At the foot of the cross, we receive his mercy. We bathe in it. The cross of Christ is the place we gain great perspective. We can't start from a position of, oh, this is God's love, let's get on with it. We have to receive it. It's the, the cross is where we bow in humility. It's the pl- a place that we offer him our filth and he gives us his righteousness. That's not just at conversion. We accumulate dirt the whole way. It's the place where we're justified. We keep being justified. It's the place where we're born again. I want to ask you, is the cross a place where you once went but now have moved on? I want to say, don't do that. The mercies given to us through the cross must be always forefront in our mind. Let's live there. This passage requires not only our head knowledge, but also our emotions. And we can't get there without a changed mind, a mind renewed by Christ. We need to deeply wrestle with God and ask for his spirit to transform us and our minds to be renewed. As we think about that this morning, uh, we're going to move into a time of communion. You know, I'm so greatly encouraged by the word of God and I'm so greatly encouraged by what he's done for us on the cross. It's everything to me. And I hope for you guys, especially you Care Outreach guys today, it's everything to you as you go out into our community. It'll radically transform the way that you interact with everybody today and tomorrow. And for us who live in Dirranbandi, it radically changes the way we interact with our neighbours and our friends and people aren't our friends and the people who hate us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told us, he sat down to supper and he told us to do something in remembrance of him. He gave the disciples bread that represented his body and wine that represented his blood. And he ordered them to be consumed in his memory. These elements here today represent his body broken and his blood shed on the cross. This is the central point of the gospel. This is the point where we receive the mercies of God, just like we consume elements of bread and wine. And make no mistake, when I talk about the cross, I don't just mean Good Friday. I mean his death, he paid for our sins, and his resurrection. So as you um, come up this morning, uh, freely take the elements of bread and wine. Uh, let's remember the mercies of God as we think about the love he has for us and the love we have for others. Let's pray.